Chapter 13b of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. There is another view in which this great and seemingly generous act of the English in setting her Negroes free is to be examined, and this relates directly to the destruction of the produce of the southern states. Could England but cripple America in this particular, and lessen in any degree, or wholly destroy the production of rice, cotton, tobacco, etc., it would increase their own trade in these articles, as these very products will soon be poured forth from their possessions in Africa, in amount sufficient to supply all their own wants, and even to sell to American manufacturers. Now let the Negroes go free in the southern states, and this great job is done. It is evident, therefore, that true benevolence and philanthropy had no influence on the mind of the English Parliament in emancipating her slaves, but rather in that transaction there was designed to be sown the seeds of future profit and speculation in the division and ruin of the United States. If the Negro question can be pushed hard enough and long enough to provoke the southern states to separate themselves from the north and to form a new government, then a civil war will arise in the country, when the English will fall on as opportunity and advantage may offer. All her powers in the Canadas and Indians of the far northwest with the runaway Negroes, the latter of whom amount, even now, in Canada, to many thousands of drilled troops who are ready for a day or an hour to rush to the battle, as directed by their masters. To this mighty plan of ruin, the abolitionists are blinded by the deceitful flatteries of an enemy, who invite them to England to talk about the awful sufferings of the poor slaves in the free states of America, to make speeches and to weep, while they encourage the fanatics to go on in their political adventure of sooner or later getting an abolition president, senate, and congress. Then would be achieved the liberties of the Negroes, an event which the English care just as much about so far as it relates to the happiness of the race, as they do about the liberties of the kangaroos of New Holland, except as such an event would make for their own interests in the ruin of this country. The possessions of the English nearly surround the United States at this moment, commencing at the West India Islands, from thence to New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Lower and Upper Canada, New Britain, reaching quite to the Rocky Mountains, and a part of the almost boundless Oregon, comprehending all that region of unexplored country beyond or west of the Rocky Mountains, quite to the ocean. This vastly important country they had the impudence to claim, because, as they say, Captain Cook discovered the coast in one of his voyages round the world, and have actually made a settlement on an island of Queen Charlotte Sound, at the confluence of the Columbia with the Pacific. 
Here, they have a park of artillery, consisting of a hundred large cannon, with all the other manumissions of war, besides several ships of the line, always afloat in those waters. At this place, they furnish their hunters with articles for the Indian trade, consisting of guns, hatchets, knives, clothing, trinkets, ammunition, etc., paying no duties to the American government for the introduction of these wares, as they ought to do. In return, they receive of the Indians and traders the furs and peltry of that vast region, inhabited by many Indian nations. In this very region of country, there are more than 80,000 inhabitants under British law. They have also taken for debt, from the government of Central America, a large tract of land so situated as to eventually command the Isthmus of Darien, that narrow strip of land which unites North and South America, a position which, ere long, will give them untold advantages, in case of the construction of a ship canal through, from the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans, instead of going round Cape Horn as they do now. The name of this place, at the mouth of the Columbia, is Vancouver. It is evident that the English do, in reality, covet the control of the whole earth, for at this moment she gives law to more than sixty million of the human race, in the Indies alone, and will eventually, to all China, Hindostan, etc., beyond the Russian possessions, and the other countries of Europe. The English Parliament, at this moment, govern more than one-eighth of the human race, which consists of about eight hundred millions, one-eighth of whom are under the control of the lords of England. Is not this a power to be dreaded and to be watched against? The possession of the Oregon region is of very great importance to the future glory and benefit of this country as by it not only many new states may be added to the union over which the benign principles of a republican and popular government may be extended but the trade with china and the whole vast countries of the western ocean along the coasts of asia would be secured to the cities towns and countries yet to rise all along the coast of the pacific which belongs to america it was in these very regions, along the coast of the Pacific, that the first inhabitants of America, after the flood, settled, who came from China across the ocean, peopling the islands in their course. These first inhabitants were the authors and builders of the great cities, now in ruins, found in both South and North America the discovery of which so much astonishes mankind at present. And the reason why they had a knowledge of architecture so perfect, as is manifest by the ruins now everywhere being discovered in the western and southern regions, is because they derived it from the family of Noah, at a time so near to the flood, that the art was not then lost when they came to this country. The ruins, therefore, above alluded to, 
are specimens not only of the architecture of the first age after the flood but also of the antediluvian world as it cannot be supposed that any other mode of building would have obtained so soon after that event as when the nations were but young were we even to conjecture that shem the great melchizedek of the scriptures may have visited america we do not feel that it would be considered as a thing impossible when it is recollected that he lived five hundred years after the flood long before five hundred years had passed by the children of noah had begun to people the shores of the eastern ocean opposite to america as well as the islands adjacent they had a knowledge of shipbuilding as shown in the construction of the ark on which account mankind and among the rest the phoenician negroes availed themselves of navigation what therefore was to hinder his visiting the new settlements not only on the islands but those on the continent itself among the mexicans there is still a tradition of the great manco copac who once was among them from whom they received all knowledge respecting agriculture and the arts were this not so or at least had not the people of peru and of mexico have had at the outset in this country some extraordinary impetus of this kind they would not in all probability have arrived at so great a perfection as they did in many respects as was seen when the spaniards overran those countries and as is seen in the amazing ruins now being discovered which denote a state of architectural knowledge far beyond anything done by the native nations since those first ages it was along that coast and the countries adjacent that the heft of the first population existed when the regions of america along the shores of the atlantic were in a wild and unknown state except where the chinese had crossed the continent as at yucatan and other places further south europe at this time was unknown as men had not found their way so soon through the unknown wilds from the euphrates a distance of more than four thousand miles to the atlantic this very region the coast of the pacific along the whole length of the oregon which is a country of nearly seven hundred miles in length by four hundred wide is destined to become again as populous as at first and that almost immediately when the ocean of the pacific shall again be whitened with the sails of commerce carried on between america china and the indies were it not much better that the americans should avail themselves of all this greatness than that the english should do which is the plan they are in pursuit of as well as the subjugation of all the eastern world west of this country the english in their secret councils had determined that the united states should be bounded on the west by the rocky mountains on the north from sea to sea by the canadas and british america 
and the South by her own and the Mexican Empire. Thus, the design was to hem the United States in, on every side. Now, with a view to aid in the accomplishment of all this, press the glorious Negro question hard, and still harder, till the southern people shall be provoked to declare themselves independent of the North. Then one grand step toward the final ruin of America will be taken, never to be recalled. From the circumstance of the transportation of the wretched Indian men by the English to work their plantations in the hot countries, it is evidence beyond all argument to the contrary that they do not, and dare not, depend on the emancipated blacks to do this work. On this account, the great argument of abolitionists, namely, that the Negroes will certainly work faithfully for their former masters, out of pure gratitude for the gift of their liberty, is refuted, and should open the eyes of all honest abolitionists to a sight of the phantom the English have put them in chase of. To exalt the Negro man to an equality in Christendom politically with white men will not subserve the purposes of humanity toward that race, as they are not capable of sustaining a standing on ground so high. Had not the Creator have estimated the African race as exceedingly inferior, the decree of servitude would not have been announced against them. To exalt this people, therefore, to political equality, will be to admit of a deteriorating element in the midst of superiors, which will amount to nothing more or less than a blemish in the heart of the institutions of the country, on account of their natural incongeniality of natures, passions, character, and constitutional make. In all the states where they are free, the negro population decreases in numbers with a rapid stride, on account of their natural improvidence, which occasions the premature death of their infants. The doctrine of emancipation, therefore, is but a doctrine of death to the negro, though bearing the sweet name of liberty written on its front. That the great men of England, her rich merchants, etc., are not honest in the prejudice they have occasioned in the world against America, on account of negro slavery, is seen in the remarks of Sir Robert Peel, premier of the empire, who accused the merchants of his country of being still deeply interested in the slave trade, and stated that the evidence of the fact could be produced. As a further and still more striking evidence of their hatred of human liberty, we notice their late operations in India. See the following account given by the Reverend J. Piermont. Quote, the sanguinary war by which Great Britain has subjected millions of India, and the stern despotism with which she rules and starves them, that her merchant princes may roll in splendor and bask in voluptuousness, have a voice which the whole thickness of the globe cannot keep from our ears. 
a more beautiful country than that from Kudalor to Tanger in Madras, cannot be imagined. The dense population and rich soil give their energies to each other, and produce a scene of surpassing loveliness. But the taxes and other causes keep down the laborers to a state below that of the southern slaves. Go with me to the northwest provinces of the Bengal Presidency, and I will show you the bleaching bones of five hundred thousand human beings who perished of hunger in the short space of a few months. The air, four miles, was poisoned with the effluvia of the dead. The river choked with floating corpses. Jackals, vultures, and crocodiles fattened upon the bodies of men, women, and infants, in many cases, even before life was extinct. This occurred in British India in the reign of Victoria I. Close quote. Under the administration of Lord Clive, a famine in the Bengal province swept off three millions, and at the same time, the British speculators had their granaries filled to repletion with corn, which the inhabitants were too poor to buy, while the grain was exported elsewhere, and sold at a higher price than it could be sold for in that country. This is the people and government with whom the abolitionists are now coalescing on the subject of human liberty and human rights, to the very great injury of America, and to their own expungeless shame. That abolitionists have been, and are now, in secret and open compact with the leading characters of England on the subject of slavery in America, is shown from the speeches made in the great meeting of the abolitionists of both countries, held recently in London. A Mr. Wendell Phillips, in a set speech in that mighty convention, stated as follows, quote, That though the connection had been dissolved between this country, that is England, and America, as far as holding its own parliaments, and directing its own affairs. Yet they were in its vassalage, as far as talents and genius were concerned. The anti-slavery abolitionists had eloquent and devoted men in their cause, but the American public would not listen to them. England, and England alone, was the fulcrum by which American slavery was to be uprooted forever. It was not with America to do this, for it was beyond her power. If it is beyond the power of America in her legislative halls to help herself in any respect, whether in relation to slavery or any other matter, how is a foreign power to assist but in a way of aggression and insult, as invited by abolitionists? in their adulatory and fulsome speeches, as is seen in the above. In this speech of Mr. Phillips, it appears that he readily and eagerly gives the meed of praise, in relation to genius and talent, to America's worst enemy, the English, which is an infinite untruth. For as yet, 
that government have not genius nor talent enough to be just liberal and wise toward her own subjects and crushes them down in every corner of their empire with taxations unbounded and without end in this speech of phillips the english are fairly invited to take a part in revolutionizing america on the subject of slavery when he said in that oration that quote, england and england alone was the fulcrum that is lever power by which american slavery was to be uprooted forever in that meeting a mr galusha an american who thought to say something which would greatly tickle the ear of the nobility and withal if possible to go beyond his brethren in extravagant remarks said quote, the only apology he could offer for his country that is on the subject of slavery was that it was possessed by the devil the delegates from america asked for the aid of the people of england to cast this devil out Close quote. this man must be a believer in witchcraft in some of the west india islands where the slaves have been set free it is known that a state of almost universal vagrancy among the negroes has taken place who do not labor more than one day in six and barely enough to keep soul and body together the residue of the time being spent in thieving drinking and debauchery which has been the character of the race in all ages it is well known that the negro nations are unconquerably fond of ardent drinks which in a free condition is one reason of their misery the use of which in a state of slavery they cannot indulge as their masters will not allow it their liberation therefore would only fill the entire country with straggling paupers especially in the northern states as is seen in all the towns and cities of the free north as very few of the blacks elevate themselves above a condition of vagrancy when in a state of freedom in the different states of the union where the negroes are free there are found many little settlements of this people but always in some out-of-the-way place from whence they sally forth by night to steal in a small way from the farmers of their neighborhood but in the slave states this they cannot do as slaves are fed and clothed by their masters far better than those who are free and are also withheld from rambling and wandering about the country if such settlements and such neighbors are desirable appendages to white communities then set the negro free in all the states when the object will be abundantly realized as a reciprocation of the immunities of white men in their social capacities can never be extended to the blacks however visionaries may fume and bustle to the contrary as the very elements of the physical existence of the two races the whites and the blacks render such an event impossible except by amalgamation 
which would be the end of both races, in the production of a mulatto species, which were produced, not by the creative hand as being original, but by a sin against the laws of human nature. Were the three millions and a half of slaves in the South set free, the whole states would become infested with gangs and bandit parties, in all the wild and more unsettled regions of the country, instead of cleaving heart and soul to hard labor, as does the white man, for the sake of bettering, physically and morally, the condition of his race, and to keep it thus bettered. In the New England states, where the Negroes have been free these fifty years, have they in the least elevated their characters or condition as men who set a proper estimate on human liberty? They have not, for everywhere among them the Negro is seen to be a Negro still. In all the free states of the North, it is the same with this people. There is no real elevation of character beyond the power by which they are surrounded. And this is the influence of the customs and manners of the white population. Twas on Euphrates' shore confusion blent to build the tower just as the flood was spent, whose architects were Negroes, black and brown, and brought upon their work the Eternal's frown. So in the western world, old Nimrod's friends are building up a tower for certain ends, on which tis written, abolitionism, meaning wild disorder or any kind of schism. But God, who sees their work, may laugh to scorn, and blast the parent ere the child is born. End of chapter 13